Cult of the Lamb, a roguelike literally about creating and growing your cult followers, was one of 2022's most celebrated games. But in real life, an actual cult was also growing. And it's thanks to this guy. Meet Jared J. Tan, a community strategist at Devolver Digital. Alongside an incredible team, Jared spearheaded Cult of the Lamb social media growth, growing 13,000 followers to 180,000 followers on Twitter in just three months. We sit down with Jared to understand the science of community management, how he went from big four accountant to cult leader, and some awesome tips about how you too can grow your cult, I mean, social following. This is the 20M Podcast. Welcome to the 20M Podcast, your deep dive into games and the people behind them. I'm your host for today, Reno. This is Arif. Say hello, Arif. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and today we have a really special guest with us. It's Jared. Hello. How are you doing, man? How are you feeling today? Um, recovering. I was kind of sick the past week and a bit. Um, still not fully better, but good enough to, to say hello today. <laughs> that, so that was it. That was my hello. I, I, yeah, that's the, the whole episode. <laughs> the, good, the good enough is like such a mood, you know? It's like, yeah, I kind of sick. I'm really tired. I'm overworked. And I'm like... I kind of just want to play video games. I'm good enough to do this, you know. <laughs> like, Fine. I feel like I need to use that as a response to. to I was most gonna say, I think you really felt that Arif, the good enough. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> do you know how much content we've been churning out this uh, like this summer season? It's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see how much content is there. It's a uh, like they've been putting out. Like, as someone who has been on the content grind, I cannot do it for very long. Any time that I do it, it's like okay, a few maybe a few weeks at tops, and it's like okay, I'm done. <laughs> I think that the 3 a.m. live streams that really spoke that that really spoke to me in a what am I doing with my life moment? Like getting my makeup on at 3 a.m., turning on my computer, camera lights on. I'm like, hello. You know, that's like literally like cloud makeup. You're just like putting, <laughs> it's like you look like a cloud. It's like, I can't meme. believe yeah. I'm reacting to the Devolver Direct at 3 a.m. <laughs> It's like insane. I don't know. Like it like just living in this part of this part of the world is just, just always at a disadvantage. When when will we get like a proper like nice eleven AM stream in Malaysia? Where's the Malaysia? Is that what we're asking, happen? Jared? Like, yeah, yeah, that's what, can you please on. lobby for the PlayStation state of play exactly to be why at, we yeah. We got you on the show. Um I, I think there are some smaller streams from Japanese companies that happen in at night. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes when, you need to only watch those ones live, and the rest of them, yeah, the rest of them, you're out of luck. Yeah, I mean, Capcom had theirs at a respectable seven a.m. I think for me, I was like, this is this mm. is fine. I can, I can do it. Not just seven a.m. It's a respectable seven a.m. <laughs> 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 All right, before we get too deep into things, um, Jared. So for, I mean, obviously, myself and Arif are big fans of your work and of the games you've been working on. But for any of our listeners who might not know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay. Um, <laughs> I am not prepared to introduce myself, but uh, hello, I'm Jared J. Tan. Uh, I am the community strategist at Devolver Digital. Uh, Devolver is a publisher of uh, a lot of very unique games. Uh, the ones that I've worked on, and uh, the most well-known one is Cult of the Lamb. Uh, yeah, wearing my cult leader shirt. And let me, where is it? I have one. Oh, here it is. Got a plush here. Oh, of course. Oh my God, the it's like having plushie. a celebrity on the uh, oh podcast. Not that you aren't a celebrity, Jared. My apologies, but like the plushie. Wow. It's, yeah, it's literally the, the traveling lamb, right? The one that's been following you in all your travels. Uh, no, it's not, it's not always the same one. 
I was on the same one. What? No, That's like, what? Yeah. Breaks the immersion, you know? Oh, uh, people think <laughs> that it was only one. There's a lot of these in the world. But yeah, you, you bring exclusive. like twenty, you bring like twenty in your suitcase and pass them out, like disseminate them in each country that you go to. Oh man, I it's wish like, I had that many. I'd be rich. These these, <laughs> these go for like uh, a fair fair bit on eBay. So yeah. wow, there's that not that so many cute. of them in the wilds. And the working bell as well. I can see when you hold it, like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez. But yeah, uh, sorry. I realized that when I uh, closed this cupboard here, it probably like shook everything and made a big sound. No, no, it was just it, announcing it, the presence of the lamb. That, that was all. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, no, I yeah. mean, yeah, it, it, it's wonderful to have you here, Jared. It's it's just so cool to me because I think like Devolver is such a I don't even know how to describe the company. You know, as as such a fan of a lot of the games that y'all publish, it's like it's one of those things where it's like you just have to say the name. And people kind of associate it to uh, certain feelings or certain types of games or a certain type of energy. But then on top of that, Cult of the Lamb is just like taking the world by storm, right? And to be one of the people kind of like responsible for part of that growth trajectory, I just think is like a little bit insane. I mean, like how just general, general, did you anticipate working on a game about uh, like coming to the games industry? Did you anticipate uh, working on a game about building a cult and it's all cute furry animals? (laughs) Um... (laughs) No, uh, I did not anticipate that. It'd be really funny. It's like, yeah, no, that's exactly what I wanted to do. That was the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was always the intention. Uh, years ago, I, I, I heard a voice, a higher calling, and that's where I went. <laughs> um, now, to be honest, um, even Cult of the Lamb isn't exactly my kind of game, gameplay-wise. And because of that, uh, before I started working on it, I was a little reluctant um, but kind of realized that oh, like this could this could be really big, and um, like the team needs uh, the team's looking for a bit of extra help. So I stepped in and uh, helped uh, with a little bit, a very small piece <laughs> of the pie of why the game did very well, and a lot of people know what it is now. Yeah, and I think it's like, well, I know we want to get to Cult of the Lamb like as a whole kind of topic, and we want to dive deep into some of the content that you've made and uh, all that kind of stuff in a bit. But I, I think you downplay a lot of it. I, th- I feel like even though I know it is a small part and there's a lot of working functions of the success of that game, like when I, when I talk to people about Cult of the Lamb, at least casually, even non-people uh, that cover the games industry, they always talk about the stuff they see on social. So I know there is a lot of functions of a lot of people that work on the game, obviously, and also on the marketing side of the games. But man, like... Don't, don't downplay the stuff that, you, that you've done there because that's all people are talking about, you know? Yeah, well, a lot of it is also, uh, like, at the beginning of this year, I am, like, no longer, like, the social media person on, mm-hmm. cult, on the Cult of the Lamb Twitter or TikTok. Um, yeah, uh, shout-outs to Josie Fletcher. Um, she, yeah, she's, like, the social media master. She's much funnier, better at making content, <laughs> better at memes than I am. So it's, like, taken off, like, to a whole other level with her at the helm. Oh, I think it was just, like, master passing on the, the baton to another master because it, it has consistently <laughs> stayed funny. But I think, like, just, just quickly before we get too deep into the cult, um, let's talk a bit about, like, how you ended up as a community manager because from from what I've seen maybe stalked on LinkedIn, you have an accounting background, which is super unique. Like that's what you studied uh, at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see how fast I can get through this. But uh, <laughs> so back in like grade school, um, 
in Canada. Oh, we're going far yeah, back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, the whole story of how it ended up there. Um, so in grade school in Canada, um, you often have to like pick a pretty specific kind of uh, undergrad program when you're going to uh, like university or post-secondary education. Um, it's not like in the U.S. where a lot of people do maybe like more general degrees. Um, like I, I have friends who even they were choosing like not even just engineering, but the kind of engineering, like are they going to electrical or mechanical or chemical? And that's they're picking that like coming out of grade school. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up picking accounting because uh, the only thing that I felt really passionate about was music and um, music is like like just too volatile of a <laughs> career path to, to attempt you know uh coming from uh immigrant asian parents uh that's something that i learned a lot about like trying to at least have some form of security um so accounting was something that i didn't mind and the main goal was it would be something that i could um i could it would give me enough money and time on the side that I could uh, do music on the side. Um, and yeah, accounting was able to do that. But then I also moved to New City, uh, moved from where I grew up in the Toronto area to Vancouver. Um, people aren't who aren't familiar from uh, with Canada, that's like a five-hour flight. Uh, so no way to go home and get uh, any like satay, sa on onion chicken, or, like, satay pork, uh, or roti chennai from home. Um, yeah, uh, so it, you know, that was a big move for me, moving away. I uh, didn't know very many people on the other, uh, in the new place I was living um, and like starting my career in accounting. Uh, I worked at uh, one of the big four international firms, KPMG, uh, and... Yeah, I, I didn't mind it too much. Like I, I even now I say I, I don't hate accounting, but kind of over time, uh, I wanted to not just do a career that would give me time on the side to do something I enjoy, but uh, I, I think I became more ambitious and wanted to have a career that aligned so that I could be like really good at my career. That like I, I would be able to like work really hard and do a good job and want to do that so that other, and then other people would like be able to see and, and respect me as someone who is good in my field. Um, yeah. And okay. That's like half. So that's the first time. Oh that's awesome. Wait, just, just quickly grade, grade school in Canada. What age is that? Uh, until around like 18. Okay. Okay. Cause it, when, when I had grade school, I think in, in Malaysia or in Austria, grade school is like primary school. So oh. when you were saying like, oh, like in grade school, like I had to decide oh. on my career path, I was like, oh my God, like I would not have been able to do that at like eight years old. No, Don't we do yeah. something similar here as well with like the art stream or the science stream? We, or yeah, we do art and science stream in from like age of 16, I think. Yeah. And where they like categorize you, it's like either you're a science kid or an arts kid. And then there's this whole prestige about being a science kid. But then all the science kids end up studying accounting later on, which they could have just done if they went to the art stream. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a message. <laughs> it's all about prestige, all about what makes the Asian parents happy. Um, yeah. So that that like one was super funny. Like uh, when you said music, I, I had a very similar like experience where it's like, I love music. Music and I wanted to I wanted to study music and super early on that was like nope that's not gonna happen for you it's like oh, okay got it yeah. which is why fair, like we've, oh sorry yeah. sorry I was gonna say it was like this is why I have the guitars here in the background you know what I mean there's oh, some, there's the some like paramour covers like Arab's paramour covers are still floating don't look on up YouTube my name somewhere. on YouTube that's not the 20 <laughs> podcast like embarrassing 13 year old me it's like I want to pursue my music career <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, what were you saying, Jared? Oh, I can't see the guitars. Uh, it's it's too dark and and uh, yeah, a little too small. On my They're screen. also dusty. So full disclosure, I barely play music anymore. It's just for show, you know. So maybe uh, I don't want to highlight. Just so people like, know he's a he's an artist. He's an artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's very similar stuff for me. Um, I'll, oh yeah, I was gonna say to be fair. Like nowadays, I like listen to different artists. Like just now, I was listening to Laufey and or like, so many artists. I, I go to their profiles and like they're young, and then it's like oh, they went to UC Berkeley Music, where they went to like all these like top music schools, and like that's how. Well, that's not how. Like obviously, they have a lot of talent, and they broke it super hard to even get to that point. But then. Like they're just so so good, and and there's so many amazing musicians. I'm like, I'm not even close to this, nowhere close to that level. So yeah, I, was a I was just telling a friend, I was just telling a friend yesterday. It's super funny you say that, like, because I I went to I went to school in Boston, and my university was right next to uh, Berkeley as well. And so like when we would be at parties, you know, a lot of the colleges would mix or whatever, and you would always have somebody who pulls out a guitar or like you know, a piano at the house, and I'd be like, ah, oh, I play music, and it's like I'm trying to jam, and then you have somebody who goes to Berkeley just go. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't go to music school. I don't know why I'm <laughs> volunteering to play guitar at this party here. You know what I mean? uh, but we, we can move on. This is such a <laughs> derailed like, like a music passion. Collective. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, so big four, you didn't mind it, but you wanted to kind of go more full time with something you were actually passionate about. How did that lead to, yeah, like getting into games? Yeah. So, um, I guess I wasn't entirely sure what other careers that I should try to pursue that I could, that I felt that I could be passionate about. And, um, I looked at, I, I kind of did some introspection, some like personal self-reflection, uh, to find out what kind of values motivated me the most when it came to work. And I thought of things like the things that I enjoy the most are one, it's being creative and like making my own stuff. And two, sharing that with as many people as possible. Um, and yeah, those are two things that you just kind of don't really get in accounting, like accounting in general is like, you're trying to fit things to rules and then no one ever looks at the stuff that like the work that the accountants do. Um, yeah. So yeah, but that's where it didn't like really align very well. And then those two values that led me to like marketing, uh, kind of like trying to, to get things seen by a lot of people. Uh, and then, game specifically, uh, because I wanted to also do those things for, uh, like for products or for an area that I actually cared about. So whether that was like music or other kinds of arts uh, or video games. And I, at some point I kind of realized that, wait a minute, like people just have careers in marketing. Uh, like that's like a thing you can do. Like you don't have to have a license to do that. <laughs> so maybe I could do that. And then like there are lots of people who work for these huge companies. Like Nintendo has an office here in Vancouver. Like EA has uh, like their huge FIFA campus, a uh, FIFA and other games campus uh, here in Vancouver. Um, so like why couldn't I go try to work at those places? Um, yeah, and then eventually ended up applying and eventually getting like having a small studio take a chance on me um at brace yourself games which is a indie studio here in vancouver um and that's eventually led to working for devolver studios and then cult of the lamb are you a big gamer like like growing up as a kid were you always playing video games um well, I, I was put in like lots of extracurriculars. So like one day it was uh, piano, one day is violin, one day is like like kung fu, another day is kung fu, another day is like baseball. So in in between that, I did like playing video games. But I think I became more of a gamer as I got older. 
Yeah, as, as you moved out of home, away from the Asian parents, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to talk about like maybe on the community and the social stuff, I know a lot of people kind of think on the surface level, it's like, oh, it's like the creative side of things, which is like drafting tweets or content or uh, general social pieces. But I feel like, yeah, a lot, a lot of where I get incredibly impressed is when people show the data uh, of how they forecast what will hit on certain platforms or how do you do engagement metrics. I think there's been a lot of GDC talks as well about like, how do you, um, uh, how do you value like the community and how do you, how does community respond to certain things and what is the data that goes behind it? Um, so I just want to like say, I think there was that one, uh, graph that you guys put out, right? Which was the Twitter followers to revenue, uh, for Cult of the Lamb. And it was such a simple visual, which is like, you could see the positive, uh, correlation between the two, but I was like, oh my God, like that is such, like, uh, I've been using that example to so many folks in, uh, in Southeast Asia, which is like, hey, if you're hesitant thinking about, you know, getting somebody to help do social or, you don't have a Twitter page or whatever for your indie game. It's like, just look at this, man. Like there is awesome data behind this. Um, so I just find that, that an interesting component. I know it's not like um, uh, a one for one, right? For yeah. a lot of games, but that data component, I think is like uh, undervalued uh, in my opinion, people trying to sift through that data. I think it's the other way around. Like it's like the game does well. And, <laughs> uh, and then you, you search for the, the data to back it up kind of a scenario. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's um, yeah. Like if you've, seen my gdc talk then you'll know like i believe that games do well because like the game is good and it's like not because social media is good that a game can do well uh sometimes that is the case but it's like there's other instances of games that even have had many um like all the metrics things like uh, they even could have really big streamers play it. They have um, like lots and lots of views on TikTok, like millions of views on TikTok. They could have um, even the the metrics that game developers think of, like wish lists. They could have lots of wish lists or demo downloads and and all these things, and then like just not sell near anywhere near that number of uh, when the game actually comes out. Um, versus other games, like uh, for, like I always give this example of Vampire Survivors, which. It's just like a game that people want to play and like the number of players is way greater than their Twitter followers. It's like way, 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 way greater or like any of their social media stuff. It's the other way around where like, um, yeah, there's like the, the game itself sells itself and it's not um, any of these other things that are selling it as much. You know, whilst we're talking about your experience with social and I think like stepping into this kind of role, I mean, is there anything that like people... Uh, typically don't disclose about managing a community because I think we see a lot of the positive stuff, which is, you know, making the content, making, uh, helping games, uh, helping elevate the social presence of games or things like that. But is, are there any like uh, things that people don't talk about? It's like, Hey, this is like really challenging bits of the job when you're managing a social community for uh, an indie game. Hmm. So, um, okay. I, I always do the big ideas. Um, this, this is kind of what I think of, uh, community management as a whole uh, is like a community manager is the connection point between a brand and its audience and then for games so that's like the game and its players so uh, I divide kind of the, the, the things that people can do in that role um, it, as outgoing communication so from the brand to the audience or incoming communication from the audience to the brand um, and uh, outgoing is the stuff that you've probably like more people think of so posting stuff on social media but also uh writing like announcements and patch notes that go onto steam or uh 
like doing developer live streams or all these things that are outgoing. So how is the, the brand or the game going to represent themselves to the players? And then the other side is listening and or engaging, where then you're taking the player feedback and then uh, turning that into useful information for the dev team to potentially work on if, if that's something that they want to do. Um, or actually that's like talking to players, uh, uh, listening to their uh, their complaints or like all these things like could be from like player support or customer support to uh, QA, like bug reports, um, many, many possible different things. And, and at really big companies, like each of these things is its own job. Uh, or you could even have a team of people, like customer support or like teams of people doing each of these things. Uh, and But at small teams, the small studios, and probably probably you're doing as many of those things as you can. And personally, I think the listening side can be really, really, really tough. Um, I know, like, I guess people know, I think everyone has an idea of what the internet can be like. Um, and then if you are like representing something that uh, the players have like attach their identity to as like, oh, like a part of my identity is that I'm a player of this game. Um, then yeah, things get really personal. For some reason, like through the anonymity of online, then people get like really mean as well. Um, yeah, like I definitely have friends who have received like really dangerous uh, messages and, and, and things that no one should have to deal with. And that's kind of why uh, community managers often don't last super long in that kind of role. Um, because like things can get really bad. I think um, Victoria Tran posted like it was kind of like a meme, but also like a serious note where she just said um, like developers don't read up, don't look at reviews, don't look at comments. Like that's my job, and it was like the meme of like the soldier like protecting like the person who's sleeping, <laughs> like community managers and the like devs behind there. And just like um, because yeah, some of the things people say on the internet are just like awful. Um, and then again, like you were saying, like with anonymity and with how like passionate to a fault they are about their games, like it can just get really out of hand and feels like for better or worse, like a community manager is sort of like that line of defense between like the people inside the company and, and the people who play the game. Yeah, but I, like really, like no one should have to do that because firstly, no one should be like that, like, like say those bad things in the first place. Um, yeah. And I think it's just not nice that, and like, it's not cool that like that's a job for people to have to sift through that. So yeah, yeah that, that, that's definitely the the bad part. Yeah, I guess like um, specifically with um, Call of the Lamb now, since like now that we can focus on on that part of the game, like how did how did the whole like the voice of the Lamb come about? Was this sort of like in your <laughs> like the the I guess like. Twitter and Instagram, like it has a very specific sort of like tone of voice and the lamb is very cute. It looks so cute, but then the tweets are like mega unhinged. Is this something <laughs> that you woke up one day and you're like, this is, this is the lamb, this is what he's going to be. Or is it something that sort of collectively yourself and members of, of the team sort of came together, like we're going to make the lamb like this, this kind of person. Like there's like a real personality to him. Yeah. There's a few things there. I don't think the, the social media is like, the voice of the lamb exactly it's, it's it's like the voice of the account or the brand um the lamb doesn't say things usually uh, <laughs> although some people make uh, uh like the comics that people make or like the in the animation like the, the fan animations and all of those things like those are so good and like those kind of give the lamb a voice but really the all of that comes like stems from the game where uh they really the the developers massive monster um they were really trying to 
have a huge contrast where you have this like super cute character that fit their art style compared to their previous games. The Adventure Pals, that's what I was, I was thinking of the name of their, their previous game that looks similar. Um, so yeah, super cute art style. The lamb is super cute, like you said, but then, um, then it does like very horrible, thing. <laughs> horrible things, right? Like, yeah, like sacrifices <laughs> and, uh, killing things and, uh, and feeding, uh, the followers poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were some of the mo- more memorable posts that you guys and the team came up with? Because I'm curious, like, how you even pitch some of these ideas. Like, yeah, I'm going to make a TikTok about our, like, it's a game mechanic. Like, we might as well talk about followers eating poop, you know what I mean? Or, like, shoveling up all that kind of stuff. What's What are some memorable posts that you guys uh, came up with and put out there to the world? Hmm. Okay. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> uh I think the most unhinged one, uh, it was not my thing. And it was, it was like fan art, really. Uh, it was the, the lamb kissing the angry birds. Oh right? my God. Yeah, I know that one. The, the, It's like the Mario and Sonic meme, but it's like the lamb and the yeah. angry bird. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that one, that one was like the most unhinged one. Um, yeah, that was, it started as uh, Josie, there was uh, there was the creator clash uh, happening. Yeah, the, were, like, the feud between the duo. Yeah, yeah. So that was the favorite <laughs> thing of like the land mascot versus duo from Duolingo, um, and then like that was doing that started going pretty viral on Twitter, uh, and then uh, Angry Birds like joined in the comments, and then there started being beef against Angry Birds, uh, <laughs> but then some fan on in, on the Twitter comments were was like. Like you should kiss and make up, and then and, like that became a thing, and then people drew. Uh, yeah, someone yeah. drew it, and then that then like the official account posted it, and that went like extra extra viral. I think it's still on the banner right now because it's like Pride Month. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that, the yeah. Uh, yeah, Josie's very good. So all of the stuff from uh, 2023, the most unhinged things are all uh, Josie's work. Uh, the, the, I think my best one would have been, uh, like with connected to the Mario movie, uh, when the Mario movie, uh, was launched its first trailer, uh, with Chris Pratt as Mario. Um, I took like audio of Chris Pratt from the trailer and like put it on the Cult of the Lamb animated trailer, um, which people really liked that. Can we talk about the polka rap? What's in the new update for Cult of the Lamb? Shimura, Kitchen, Photo Mode, Gallery, Relic Good Achievements, Eye of Leshy, Permadeath, Midas, Purgatory, Tarot Cards, Boss Rush, Post Game Story. Update, update, update them all. Free content! Yeah, that, that one, that was a team effort. Um, so that one was when the, the really, really big Cult of the Lamb update came out uh, a few months ago. Um, I was like, oh, I don't... Okay, at first it was like... Josie suggested I'm going to make a TikTok of can I list all of the things or as many things in the update uh, in like 30 seconds. Uh, and and then like we were just like making this big list and I'm like, and I don't remember who said like, oh, it's, it's like a rap. And then I, I feel like Josie might have said it's like a rap. And I'm like, yo, I'll rap this. I <laughs> <laughs> will do it. In the style of Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it's like, oh, okay, the Poke Rap would be like so perfect because like it's a rap that everyone recognizes. It's just a, it's just a list of lots of things, um, and and the idea was to like make it seem like there were a lot of things because that update really does have a lot like a heck of a lot of things. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so then, 
I was like, okay, I want to do this. Uh, I asked some other people if they could help. At Devolver, we have JM, who is the uh, other person. He was the singer. Um, he just does like a bunch of different things. Uh, he, he, on the side, he, he acts in like opera, like community opera. So he's a really good singer. Oh, that's awesome. He also oh, wow. acts. Um, and because he's like the performer at Devolver. So we get him to do all sorts of things. Uh, like he does voiceover for trailers. <laughs> he does like live uh, dev live streams uh, on behalf of Devolver. He, uh, for Broforce back in the day, he like sang like an American patriotic song. Um, yeah. So all sorts of things. Like he, like you just look through, if you look through all of the Devolver content, you'll see JM like a bunch of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so like yeah, so JM helped with the singing because he's a very good singer. Um, and then I asked Riverboy, uh, Narayan, the the composer uh, of Cult of the Lamb, to just like help me edit the audio and like splice it all together. So that's why it sounds like a lot more professional. And then for the video, um, we have a few video editors, but one of them who I love working with, he like focuses on social media content. Uh, his name's Zach, uh, Zach Galing, and he. Yeah, I asked him if you could help make the video. I like found all the clips for him and like timed all the things and like got all the footage, uh, compiled it all into a spreadsheet. So, uh, so trying to make the, the job easier for him, and then he put it all together, and like with the font to make it look like the poke wrap and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, he's so good at like those those little touches to make things look like just like just the way that we're trying to parody. That's amazing. Like just a dedication to the bit, like everyone just coming together to create that call of the lamb wrap. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like a reminder of like how many people are working on, uh, obviously want to contribute to the success of the game, but it also seems like you guys are having fun, uh, in, in tandem with it. Right. It's like, what, this is such a crazy idea, but we are all excited by it. And there seems to be an energy around it. And you can kind of feel that texture when you guys put out those social content. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though it might be just one or two people like on the video itself, or it's a, it is like what, like a, a minute type of content that you guys are putting out. I just love that everybody's kind of like aligned that way and excited and energized by that. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just hilarious to me. Yeah. I think like, it's really nice because we have a lot of freedom, like other big studios uh, if you're representing big brands or especially if you're like working on an ip like owned by disney or nintendo or something like then you gotta go through so many layers of approval just mm -hmm. to get something done um but yeah for us it's kind of uh whatever the devs think it's okay is cool and like obviously <laughs> with cult of the lamb like the devs are happy to go like very unhinged uh because like they, that's exactly how they made their game yeah I think the fan response has also been so incredible as well. Like the fact that you guys put in like, you know, hundred percent and they're doing the same. Like I've seen the fan art isn't just like digital art. It's like leather jackets. It's like tattoos. It's like really intricate cosplay. Like just going through like the call of the lamb retweets. I'm like, wow, like people really, really like this game. Yeah. 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 Um, some of our like most successful uh, like social media stuff in general was from people who just love the game and then like influencers as well, like streaming the game. Like, uh, it, I think it got to like, like sixth on Twitch, uh, when the game launched, like ahead of League of, Le League of Legends for, for like a day. Um, yeah. And then like the f uh, fans who are just like making stuff because they love the game. Like there's so, so many good things. And, and even the ones who like, aren't really like trying to post on social media. I saw on Reddit the other day, there was uh, a person who, um, without mods i think because they're playing i think they're playing on ps5 um they have like 300 or 400 followers in their cults 
Like the wow. dedication to be able That's to do it. Like, yeah, that is have- insane. Man, I was struggling with just like 10. Like everyone was just hungry <laughs> and tired and all the time. Like what? I didn't even know you could get to 300. I, we didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> that was not how it was intended. But yeah, was like, that Reddit post is, yeah, it, it's one of my favorites. Awesome. Yeah. That's golden. The, you know, as a, we talk about it now as like this huge success, and obviously it is like, it seems like commercially it went really well, but also socially it's kind of taken the world by storm. I think you came on, if I'm understanding it correctly, you came on uh, before the game officially launched, right? Was it recently before the uh, the game launched? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I joined uh, about a month to five weeks before the game launched. Um, and was it was it there's the same energy then? Because like for me, it's like it's really been the gr- the growth trajectory has been insane again, just on the sentiment side of things, right? But when did you guys know that this was definitely going to be a a monster of a hit? Pun intended. There, I guess. Well, I think you like you never really know. Um, like you can have your metrics like Steam wish lists or uh, or like social media following, but like none of those guarantee anything um and i guess like we really knew that it was like really really taking off uh when like just before launch uh that would have been in the few weeks when uh, certain streamers got a chance to play the game early uh and uh like it was big on twitch it was big on social media and, and like big streamers or even some of them are coming to us and asking like, Hey, like, how do I get access to do this early? Like, like I saw these other people are like have it and, and, and they love playing it and it looks awesome. And then I want to play it. Um, yeah. So I think like around that time, it's like, okay, wow, this is like, looks like it's going to really, really take off. <laughs> sorry, Pokemon. Sorry. XQC, you guys are on the wait list. All right. <laughs> like we've got a long, <laughs> we've got to roll out a bunch of stuff. I think the Twitch integration is what made it so big on Twitch as well. Like the fact that, you know, your viewers could become followers and then they could kind of contribute to the totem. Like that all just made it really, really fun. I, I super enjoyed streaming it. We're going to overlay this whole conversation with the photo of um, me streaming and, and our f- character being sacrificed. That That's the whole intention of this conversation. Yeah, which was really unnecessary. I mean, like, I'm happy to be part of a, a cult, but I didn't think I'd be jailed so easily. And, and again, like, that was a hilarious moment between Reno and I, but I, I've seen so much of that replicated throughout the internet as well. So it's almost as like... Uh, like user generated content at that point it's like you're you they're able to use social uh to kind of highlight these moments in the game so i just think it was such a good one-two punch where you guys are like cultivating the community but also they can post their own stuff and make it be such a meme as well uh it's just such a such a time i don't know just the confluence of all those things just seemed almost perfect yeah yeah and i i think that's that's what it is it's it's all of the possible things hitting as like well as they possibly can like that's how it ends up is such a big thing. Um, yeah, so I, I think like my corner of like being social and community at that time was a very small part of that. But it's like one of the, the things hitting and then everything else also hitting and then, and, and then they elevate each other. Uh, besides Call of the Lamb, though, you've worked on a couple of other games um, with Devolver. And I know um, you're excited to talk about, I guess we can start with maybe Terranil. So mm-hmm, I'm not yeah. super familiar with this one, but I know Arif has played uh, a demo in the past. And this is the one that's sort of like, I think when I saw the video, I was like, oh, this is like SimCity, but but in reverse. It's like the <laughs> going back to nature sort of thing, right? It's like re- recultivating the land. It's a game uh, in like a post-apocalyptic world, uh, which is many games. <laughs> but in this <laughs> one, it's like set up like to look like a, like a city builder. But instead of building a city, you're uh, allowing the environment to regrow 
um, and you do this in like a tiled way uh, on an isometric view. Um, yeah, uh, it, I think it's a very like relaxing game. It's a very I, I enjoy playing it. It's one of the games that uh, when uh, when we need to like capture footage for, I'm like, oh yeah, like, I'm down to capture footage. <laughs> like I have fun playing it. Um, so it, it, yeah, it makes it easy to capture footage. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I think yeah, it, it was really good to work on um, because it's so different um, and. Obviously, like Cult of the Lamb is trying to be like shock value and, and, and funny and, and all these things, but then like Terranil, it's like completely in the other direction where uh, it's like super. The game itself isn't that serious, and even like the technology that you you use in the game to bring back the environment to attract animals to come back, all of that stuff is like science fiction uh, more than actual science. But it is rooted in things from actual uh, like what the natural world is actually like. Um, the devs uh, there in South Africa, uh, the, the, a small team uh, under the Free Live Studio, and uh, they take a lot of inspiration from their the local environment around them. Like there's the fine boss, uh, uh, like vegetation area, uh, and and in South Africa they need to use forest fires to replenish the the land where. Uh, the forest fires then allow the the nutrients to go back into the soil and then regrow uh, with new with new vegetation, and that's like one of the key f uh, features of of Terranil, where like you off if you think of con environmental conservation, you might think oh like burning everything down like that's probably not a good idea, uh, and, and it's it's fun to see people's reactions to when they play the game and they see like the fire, they start the fire and then it just like spreads and spreads and spreads and it burns down everything. And, but that also teaches you that even when you're doing that, you can have like, um, uh, you can do controlled fires by, uh, setting up things, barriers through, uh, like water ditches, uh, or rivers. Uh, but even if you do allow your whole thing to burn, then you can use uh, the arboretum to regrow new forests uh, from the, the nutrients that have come from the burned vegetation. So, yeah, it, it's completely different, and even and and the best best part is that the devs uh, they committed a portion of their profits from sales on Steam to donate to a real conservation organization in South Africa, uh, the Endangered Wildlife Trust, and um, yeah, they got to go see firsthand the work they do to uh, protect animals and environments in South Africa, and it's it's so 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 cool, uh, and they are like donated a lot of money to the organization through the sales of Terranil. It's, it's so amazing because, uh, you know, on a larger note as well, Reno and I covered the Wholesome Direct. And whilst we were kind of talking a lot about the games that come out of there, it's so funny to see, I guess, a lot an explosion of Wholesome games where you really want to, it's not about the AAA shooters, big explosions, like hyper capitalism kind of, uh, you know, type of undertones and in a lot of indie games that you see now, it's almost like there's a resurgence of these games that are, you know, going back to grassroots, right? And um, have a completely different vibe. But it's so interesting to see that like a game like Terra Nil does actually have real world impact as well. So they're using the game to kind of um, further social goals in that way, which was like a beautiful thing. But I guess as it relates to the community management content, social strategy side, like you said, Call of the Lamb and Terra Nil are very, very different games, but they're all housed under the Devolver family, right? And knowing the work that you guys did, like how, how did you even approach a game like that versus a Call of the Lamb? Where I think we're all familiar with like the cutesy and like the, you know, how would you say bombastic moments, but this game doesn't really, uh, is quite the opposite of that, right? So I'm curious how you guys kind of swapped hats between 
the strategy between both those games? Yeah, so for uh, Terranel, I worked with uh, their, they have a few people working on social media and, and community stuff there, uh, Kosi and Hyphen um, at Freelives. Uh, and I'd say in general, uh, I, like in general, the way that you should look at anything, I think is looking at like what makes this thing unique or different or what messages will, uh, can, will people potentially latch onto here. Um, and then like social media is trying to get it, like the, one of the, the first goals is trying to get people's attention. Like how do you convince someone to stop scrolling while they're just like, scrolling through TikToks, like one, 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 like seeing them, like look, they only look at it for like two seconds or one second. Then like you, you have to convince them to stop and actually look at your thing or like scrolling down a timeline on Twitter or Instagram. Um, yeah. How do you convince them? So that's where you need to have like very snappy messages and the message then needs to like resonate with what the game represents and what the developers, uh, what the message that they want to portray with, their creation because this is something that they've worked super hard on like for usually for years of their life um yeah so like how do they want to be represented uh and then how does that connect with some sort of message that can then go to the audience so uh for Terranel, uh all the things that i talked about these altruistic angles like talking about how the game connects to the real world some of the things like are somewhat educational and then also how then that has a real world impact through uh like donations um to actual uh, conservation work um yeah uh, and then like in terms of like making content uh this wasn't my idea but one of the things that we posted on the devolver youtube is like terranil asmr um where it's just like an hour long of um yeah just like someone playing very like lightly so you can hear the the, the rain in the game uh, one of the super cool features is that your cursor when you put it like wherever you put it um the sounds where your cursor is uh become like elevated so if you put it oh, in the forest and you might hear like the bugs of the forest and then like the rustling of the pine needles or if you put it at the water you hear like the waves of the water or like the, the, if it's near like a whale and the sound of the whales breaching um the uh, the ocean stuff like that and and you just like the the sounds are so so good the sound of design is so uh so on point and like so natural so then yeah make an asmr video <laughs> <laughs> Now that's incredible. It's like really leaning into yeah what the game's message is about, what the game's unique selling points are, and then like sort of heightening that for so people are aware of what what it's about. That's that's super super cool. And then yeah. I guess like the the other game we wanted to talk about, uh, which is again a very different vibe as well, is is Card Shark. Can you tell us a bit about Card Shark? Yeah. So uh, Card Shark uh, is the first game that I worked on under the Devolver umbrella uh, at Nerial. Um, Card Shark is a historical stealth puzzle game. Uh, it's extremely hard to describe what kind of game it is. I was really excited to see how you describe Card Shark because, yeah, <laughs> it's not one of those things where it's like super easy to disclose, you know? Yeah, yeah. So in the game, uh, it's, it's a game about card cheating where uh, you play as this historical character who is learning these card cheating tricks so they can go from their status as like a, a criminal or a peasant uh, and then eventually they go into these gambling tables where they do cheating a uh, card cheating tricks uh, and then eventually making their way up to, to play cards against the, the King of France in, in the 18th century. The three games that you have kind of helped with that we've mentioned here, right? Uh, like you said, it almost sounds as if with Terra Nail, you were kind of going into that community, seeing what that community would respond to well, or specifically what that game is trying to offer and, and highlight those things. What's the 
what is that? How does that apply to Card Shark? Is it like just making a lot of fun about how to cheat in card games, like how to count cards or a lot of a lot of card puns and whatnot? Um, I'm, <laughs> again, I'm just curious, like the uh, how that how that philosophy applies to Card Shark specifically. Yeah, um, for Card Shark. Um, I definitely, like, when I first played the game, I actually had a really bad time because, uh, mostly because of bugs. And it was just like, super frustrating to get past, uh, certain things. Also, um, the game is very tense because you have to, uh, it, it, the puzzles or like the gameplay is, is really unique where, um, the logic of doing these puzzles is, is, is literally the logic of, uh, what you would do if you're, uh, like manipulating a deck. So like the UI shows like all the cards in the deck, uh, most of them face down, but then uh, like if you're trying to save this ace that was like put on top and then you like shuffle and then you need to like keep it here by in jogging and then like, uh, yeah, so you have to like do that and you have to like think of the order of operations of like how you're like keeping track of that and then knowing what inputs to do. While also there's like a timer uh, because if you are taking too long, then people will get mad at you uh, because like they realize that you're cheating or they suspect that you're cheating. Uh, it's a sus meter, as they say. <laughs> and uh, and then if and, and then the other part of the game is that if if the sus meter gets too full and people get too upset, then sometimes they will just kill you. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, like like literally kill you. And there's like a permadeath for as they do where you can't. As, as what happened in in back in back in France in that day, yeah. maybe yes. even now. <laughs> that's a good one i Um, I saw um i was watching some of the videos on the on the devolver channel about this and there were some videos about like irl like how you can manipulate the decks and there would be a guy dressed up in like a french medieval cosplay is that the developer or is that an actor yeah so that's uh that's nikolai he was the the like lead artist as well as like the originator of the game uh he was the one who came up with the idea of like making a game around card cheating uh and it's his art style which is why the game looks like that which is like it it, i think it looks super cool visually um yeah so he once in a while he'll just like start to learn some new hobby and at some point he was learning card cheating or like card tricks um and then he's like oh well this is a lot of fun to learn why don't we make a game of this so then he contacted the people he knew at Nariel, and then they started working together to make the game. And then for the art style, um, he has a background in animation. Uh, and uh, he, for this, he did a style that was aiming to be kind of like paintings for like historical paintings, but then like actually hand painting things obviously is like, too, like way too much work. <laughs> so he uses, uh, he used mono printing, which is a, illustration technique where you take paint and then you put it on different objects and then you stamp those objects and then uh you would layer those uh, those like stamps shapes on top of each other and then each different object has like a different texture and then also since it's from like actual paint then it looks like it's um like it has more detail but then you're not actually directly painting it because you're stamping them on and then for this digital version then he would scan the different layers of of these uh stamped uh, paint images and then like compile them to make that, the game's art style. That's crazy. That's so cool. And then he also dresses up in costume to to explain <laughs> the cards for YouTube. That like honestly, commitment to the bit for everyone involved. It's nuts. 
Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, I had a great time. I went to Busan Indie Connect uh, mm-hmm. last year to present the game. And uh, like, I don't speak Korean. Uh, I'm not Korean. So uh, I was like, how do I like talk about this game <laughs> to people here uh, with, like, my, with, if they don't know that much English? Um, and I don't know Korean to speak to them. So I just like had a deck of cards and then I would be like, like a point to the cards and you like the like, kind of like card trick. And then, and then, um, yeah, I would ask them to like pick a card and then, uh, like shuffle it and like do a thing and then, and then like reveal their card, uh, and, and try to explain that like this game like teaches you these card tricks. Everything you do in the game is card tricks from real life. Like what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So you, yeah. yeah. So you also had to be like, be, like become, a specialist in in card tricks to do like your presentation, acting, yeah. Like, you know, to to do community, to do social, to like promote video games, you got to go full method on. Yeah, on yeah, yeah you got to be a magician on, you know? and a rapper at, <laughs> <laughs> on top of being. <laughs> yeah, I, so yeah, that that was like one of the that's that's kind of why I got into this, right? Uh, I like performing and I like like being in front of people and showing stuff that I have learned. So um, yeah, so all of this is fun, and like not everyone has to learn these things to, to do their job of course um, <laughs> uh, but yeah like like something with the rap or, or or like other music related things like i want to do those because i have fun making music related things like going back to the oh like from the start of uh like music is my biggest passion so getting to do that a little bit um is, a little, is more fun absolutely yeah. So kind of I guess I, I keep on like looking. <laughs> I want to get a deck of cards. I know I have one. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm terrified. Now. <laughs> if he's gonna he's gonna tell you what card you're thinking of. Okay. Well, like one of the main things that you have to learn in game uh, is is the injog. Oh man, let's see. Can we do this? So, uh, okay. So I'm like doing this, and then if I want to like mark a card or mark a spot, then you can see here like this is an out jog, so it's out. It's like this spot is farther oh. out, and then I keep on shuffling like this. Um, and then now if I cut from where that spot was, then now I've like saved this one card totally cut and now it's on the bottom or on the top or wherever you want to cut it to. So that's like one of the basics of the game, uh, and a basic of magic. Yeah. And that was like a super obvious one where I like left it like way out, but obviously people aren't looking for it, so they, they wouldn't notice. Um, yeah. I love how we've like talked about Terra Nil and its real world implications and how people can take actions in their own hands. <laughs> and then now with Card Shark, it's like, yeah, try this at a casino. Like next time, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, no, that's awesome. I, I mean, I'm also just like, again, curious now that we've kind of talked about three titles and just the variety of the work that you do, right? We see a lot of like early community managers here. And I think in Southeast Asia, because Reno and I are quite plugged in with the indie ecosystem, we're also starting to see a lot more positions for community managers, social managers, and general PR uh, folks out here that probably haven't existed before, right? I'm curious, like, if, if there's any, like, what do you, what is the usual advice that you typically give to, like, newer community managers? Are there, are there a lot of people kind of, like, asking you about your role and how to um, build the success of these games? Because I feel like, Jared, the personality-wise, I feel like, you know, the work that you guys have all done for Cult is kind of like the golden standard for indie games, right? right? Um, yeah, I'm just curious, like, some of the advice that you typically give or stuff that maybe, like, you haven't, advice that you haven't given enough to folks that are interested. I think it 
starts from the games, like like I was talking about before. And I think like most important, you want to talk like really as be as close to the development team as you can. And, and even if you can't ever meet them in person, like I was doing a lot of these things without having met these people in person uh, and even like not talking to them that much. But like one thing I, I did at the at Nariel for Card Shark was um, I made the survey to like ask everyone on the dev team or at the studio, uh, like what are your inspirations as, as a gamer? So like, who are you as a gamer? Uh, and then who are you as like a developer? Like what is important to you? What are the things that you wanna do with the games that you're making? Um, or like what's important to you? And then like what messages resonate? And uh, so that's represent like the people because like you are representing the, the people behind the game. And then for the game itself, uh, going into like the, like the, the creative minds behind it and seeing what their stories are um because like they have a personal reason and so why they've ended up making this game uh like with nikolai and how he was doing making he was like learning card tricks and he's like oh this is fun so now i'm gonna try to make a game about this um and that's interesting like that's that's a story that someone might be able to relate to uh because it's like his story therefore it, it's like personal to him therefore it could like connect to people because it's someone's actual story uh and i think that's kind of where you can start uh and if you if you have a good grasp of those things then then you can take that to the marketing messaging and like what things can then resonate to the players it's uh that's quite beautiful i think it's also quite funny i mean when you talk about integrating people's stories and integrating per people's personalities. Uh, I just like a quick reflection has been like, if you take a look at, uh, at Togia Productions, right? We know a lot of the folks at Togia Productions super well. It's like the way they market coffee talk is obviously quite different than they market games like, uh, you know, Crease Front Tactics, right? Or A Space for the Unbound is different than some of the other games that they, uh, that they kind of market. But it's quite funny how Lala, who currently does their social on uh, TikTok, it's like, it's just so her humor as well. So also bringing like the, the social media managers kind of like personality and humor to the forefront. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because it's like that authenticity that you bring up, Richard. It's like you talk about the people behind the game have stories, have personalities and have a way they want to be represented. How do you do that authentically on the internet whilst also making fun of stuff and talking about public, the public zeitgeist or whatever's out there. Um, and, but doing a, a service to the people that are behind the games as well. Right. Uh, just yeah. a funny reflection, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, yeah, like, like a person's personal, like their their personality as like the representative that also comes out. And I think earlier when you were saying like the lamb's voice, um, I say, oh, it's like I feel like it's more of the brand's voice, but it's also like the social media manager's voice. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and you can see that it, it's quite unique. Uh, it, it can be very different depending on, on the game uh, versus sometimes like there are teams that like, oh, we don't want to be in the fort. Like we don't want to be. In the, the forefront we don't actually want to have like individuals be like oh everyone reveres this per this dude or like this person as the as like they associate this game with this person or this brand with this person like they don't want that because uh, they they feel like they're a team and they want everyone to be represented so then that's like a different challenge absolutely um, well, I guess we're, we're coming towards the end of the show and we're about to wrap things up, but I did want to quickly get a question in with you, Jared, like, what are you playing right now and what are you looking forward to for the rest of 2023? Mm, okay. Um, this weekend I played Tunic. Oh Ooh. yeah. 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 Tunic. Like, wow. I, what did, a, I had a lot of good things. 
Yeah, what a what a well crafted like really really special game. Um, I'm very bad at action like combat in games for the most part so uh, i started the game on like reduced combat difficulty because i knew that i could like maybe i tried it for like 10 minutes of, of like normal difficulty and i'm like i hey, know it's too hard i'm going to reduce difficulty and then towards the end i already played like nine hours that day or something and towards <laughs> the end i'm like i I'm, i want to finish this game today i feel like i'm close to the end i'm just gonna like turn off like combat difficulty or like, or like turn on like can't die mode so I'm like, so i was going into boss fights and, and then they like were like, like whacking me and i was like not losing any health i just like <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh the, the least the letter the least you know about it the better but it like the combat is difficult and it's like isometric but it, it's also a knowledge-based game uh, and knowledge-based games are like my favorite kind of games uh my favorite game of all time is outer wilds but i love other knowledge-based games like uh, Return of the Obra Dinn, mm-hmm. um, uh, blanking uh, the, like the Forgotten City um, and Tunic um, games. If you aren't familiar, uh, those are games where the core gameplay is learning the logic of the world and um, like the puzzles are the world itself. And uh, yeah, I don't want to say more if you haven't played some of those <laughs> games, but um, like if you know all the things you need to know to complete the game, you could probably complete it like very quickly because you know all these things. But then like discovering those things is the fun of the gameplay, and then figuring out how they work together uh, is is the fun of the gameplay. Um, yeah, so that was like like why I wanted to play Tunic, and not so much the combat part because I'm bad at that. So that's why I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do combat anymore. I'm just I want to do this knowledge part (laughs) i'm I'm having the same um challenge with persona 5 because i'm so late to playing it i just want to get i just want to get the story so i think i chose like super ultra easy mode whatever is like the easiest mode and then there's like another mode where if i don't want to fight i just like auto battles as well no this is fine because if if i don't and i need to set aside like at least an hour a day to play and at this rate i think it'll take me maybe approximately two years to finish it (laughs) so it's like all right well i'm gonna speed this up. i just want to get to i just want this part of the game to experience this part of the game so i totally i totally get that as well yeah especially for jrpgs like persona where the the game is just so long yes Um, yeah yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah, and then for later this year, uh, I am excited for Slay the Princess. That's probably my most excited for game. It's a visual novel, like choice based game, um, by Black Tabby, uh, which are, uh, they're, I think they're American, but they're, they, they're in the Toronto area now. Um, yeah, really, really small team and it's a visual novel, but instead of like like there's a princess and she's chained up and this voice tells your character to um like oh you need to slay the princess instead of like save the the princess and then lots of weird stuff happens and there's like a huge number of possible endings and and things that overlay with each other uh, i played the the for earlier demo uh, but i don't want to play it anymore because i'm just excited for the game to come out um yeah so that, that's what i'm most excited for yeah, I looked that one up, and then and I was like, "What? This is not what I expected." I think I just, I, I just thought it was going to be like a, a night rescuing kind of game, and then it's like, "Wow, this this escalated super quickly." 
I love that we're in an era where we've seen so many of the same type of games and the same type of stories that we're trying to flip a lot of them. Like talk about the Mario movie. It's like, oh, you're not saving Princess Peach, you're saving Luigi, right? But in mm-hmm. this kind of game, I mean, to your earlier thing, Jared, it's like Tunic is such a cute, beautiful, wholesome looking kind of game. But then, yeah, it gets like uh, combat I hear is extremely challenging, right? So you don't typically associate those two things together. <laughs> and then now same with uh, with this title, I think Reno showed me as well. I was like, this is wacky as hell, but just such a good flip on this uh, this archetype, if you will, right? Or the, the type of thing that you would expect. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of love the direction of games they're going, uh, they're going in. Yeah, yeah. I'd say like the things that get me most excited about games in general are like i said knowledge-based games but in in general general games that like tell stories through gameplay in really innovative ways um so i don't want to spoil things but yeah like obra did where you're like really uncovering the story all these knowledge-based games you're uncovering the 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 story in a very abstract way um but also things like slay the princess which I, i i assume i'm going to be doing something similar um and yeah uh so yeah top best kinds of games uh yeah yeah like again like when either i remember when Oberdin was coming out and a lot of people were starting to play that game or i think it was like after it was out it got a lot of traction about people talking about it especially word of mouth and it just gets me so excited but i feel like it's one of those games where i want to reserve a weekend right like get pen and paper in front of me if necessary and just go through the the whole thing and kind of experience it but i, I gotta carve out time to go to go through those games you know but i'm excited to uh, you're, you're getting me excited to, uh, to jump in now yeah the, i think they just like bring a completely different kind of experience than than what you get normally in games, which is often quite linear or very straightforward. Like all these games, like often they like really don't tell you anything, and it's like the closest thing that I think can get to exploration. Oh, another one, um, Heaven's Vault. Oh man, Heaven's Vault is so cool. Um, okay. This one I will explain a little bit because the like the the knowledge base part is so interesting. Um, they have the game has its own language, and then as you go through and you explore the world, it's like point and click kind of style. Uh, but as you go through, and it's like archaeology. There's some um, lots of ruins and, and history, and then as you go through and find these ruins, and you'll see that, like, oh, you realize that this thing means, like, this word in this the script means, like, water, and then you just try to lock that in, or you, like, maybe try to make assumptions uh, as to, like, what the language is. It's, like, build this whole language, and the like, game wow. is literally, like, understanding a language that, did, like, didn't, like, no longer exists. Yeah. That's Along incredible. with being in, in a story and like having an adventure and, and all these things. Um, but yeah. It, it's That's like instant wish list for me. You know what I mean? Like instantly putting that on my list. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It, it's really, really, really clever. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, think. I think similar. I mean, just to like to just talk about like games as a whole as we're you know getting into this kind of conversation, right? Like even when you talked about Card Shark, because like I I watched a lot of the trailers, a lot of the marketing that came out uh, for the game as it was leading up, and it was so funny because when people were trying to describe that game, it's like oh yeah, it you can describe it the way it looks, but describing the gameplay and the type of game it is can get quite challenging. But again, I love that. Um, this is again why I love the independent experience a lot more than AAA's, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast where innovation and true step and leaps forward in terms of how do you marry gameplay with ideas that are so nebulous is such a fascinating relationship to me. So I just love that we're in an era where people can kind of take bets. And I guess like folks like you at Devolver as well are supporting games that are so new and original and wacky, but giving kind of players that it's like, I've never kind of 
and I didn't think that somebody could articulate this thing in a gameplay, uh, in a gameplay loop before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just it gets me back to this excitement of like, man, indie games are flipping great, and they look beautiful, and they sound beautiful, and you know, there's so much fun that we can, uh, so much fun social stuff that we can talk about it. But on, at the end of the day, like even just general gameplay or why how these games exist is beyond me. So um, it just it just gets me really excited about playing more indies throughout the year. Yeah. Yes. Do it. All those games, like <laughs> you really push boundaries. You, like people should yeah. play them. People should buy them and play them and and have their their eyes open to like what more games can be than than just the experiences that we've been having for like twenty thirty years. Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great message. That's a great message to to wrap this interview up as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Jared. And thanks everyone for for tuning in. If you want to hear more about Jared and his work at Devolver, we will have links to his Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff uh, in the description box below as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much again, man. Like, really, really appreciate your time, and it's been such an enlightening experience for both myself and and Arif. Okay, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a good time. Thank you for letting me uh, have my exposés about the game. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that that's the episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like what you're hearing, check out our previous episode as well, where we cover Final Fantasy 16 and Sora Seasons, A Wonderful Life. Take care, everyone.